Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for being with me for another episode of Grace to All. Some of you know that I started out my workforce career as a musician. I did that for some 25 years or so before I had a great career change and went into the ministry. And my musician, I did all kinds of things. I was a classically trained musician with a degree in music from the University of Kansas, but I was primarily a jazz musician. But I did all sorts of things, including playing for weddings. Sometimes my band would play for the wedding dance. Sometimes I would play with an organist or a piano player and play trumpet and play the wedding march and other processional things like that. Well, I tell you that because by the time I was in my early 40s, mid-40s, and I became a pastor, I started getting requests to perform marriage services. So I get that first request. It was some people I didn't know, and they were getting married at the chapel at the university, and I said, sure. So I did my research, and I got some things down, and I went up, and I met with them, and I'm going through things, and, and pretty soon the, the mother of the bride said to me, this was in preparing for the service, she said, uh, have you ever done a wedding before? I said, oh, yeah, I've probably done hundreds of them. And she said, oh, okay. Now, I'd done hundreds of them as a musician. <laughs> I hadn't done a one as a pastor, but it went okay. Now, I say that to get you all started by, I'm going to talk today about what's traditionally called the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love. The Apostle Paul writes this. For a long time, I had a great misunderstanding about this passage. I thought for a long time that this was sort of a handbook or a manual for us human beings to use as to how we were supposed to live, and that this was the goal that we were to do our best to achieve to get to where we could do all of these things in this passage. Of course, I never lived up to that, and nobody else ever did either, except for Jesus. And he wasn't married, so this wasn't a prescription for him to follow once he was married. But at any rate, I've come to since learn that this isn't about us at all. This is about God, period. It's totally about God. As we've been talking about love and the different kinds of love from agape love, which is the Greek word for the God kind of divine love that Jesus started using, and it was the only word in the New Testament to describe God's kind of love. People had never known about that kind of love before, as compared to any other kind of love, typically eros love, which says, yeah, I love you as long as you meet my needs. And unfortunately, in religion, we tended to ascribe that kind of love to God, when God is not like that at all. His agape love is totally without conditions. And I've taught on that the last couple of times we've visited. So I want to go into that from a little different standpoint today as we look at 1 Corinthians 13. Every time it says love in this chapter, Paul, the author, uses the Greek word agape, meaning God's love, the God kind of love. We know from the Apostle John 
in different places that he writes that God is love. That's God's essence. That's God's nature. So we're not doing a disservice to the text and translating this at all if we change the word love to God, because God is love. And this is talking about God because Paul, the author, uses the term that only refers to God's kind of love, not a human kind of love. Now, what I've done is I've taken 1 Corinthians 13, and I've taken a number of different translations, several. They're all translated just slightly differently because in the Greek, there are different English words that we can use for a specific Greek word. So I've kind of made a composite of all of those different things that I could find. This, this isn't exhaustive because there are hundreds of translations of the Bible. This is kind of a composite. What I hope to do is to show you what God's love is really like in some ways that you might never have thought of before. And we'll go through this, and I'd love to have you get back with me uh, either through a personal message or a message on the YouTube video, or those of you who are already in contact with me, you can email me, or, well, any of you can email me at grace to all with Paul Gray at Gmail. I'd love to get to know you. So, at any rate, here's what Paul, who knew Jesus extremely well, Jesus taught him for 13 years in the Arabian desert after Jesus had resurrected and took him up to heaven and revealed these things. He says, love or God, I'm going to start saying God from now on instead of love. God is patient and does not give up. I would encourage you as I go through this list of things, if there's any particular time here you want to just stop, hit the pause button and stop and think about that. In particular, what does that mean for your image of God? What you think about God and then How does that grab you as to knowing that God relates this way to you? All right, here's the first one. God is patient and does not give up. Now, that's true about God's relationship with you and with everyone. God is patient to the max and never gives up. God is kind. God's not jealous and does not envy, thinks no evil of anyone. God doesn't brag or boast, is not arrogant or proud. That really ties in with our understanding of the Trinity, of God being three beings, all with the same essence. God being the three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all having the same essence, but different functions, if you will. And the three of them have always existed in relationship, which is the picture for the kind of relationship that they've included us into. And they are not, nor ever have been, jealous, don't envy each other, don't think any evil about each other, doesn't matter to them who gets the credit for whatever. Their holiness is perfect relational relating to each other. They don't care who gets the credit or anything like that. All right. Love does not brag or boast, is not arrogant or proud. God Love does not act unbecomingly or dishonor others. God never does that with you. God never dishonors you or anything like that. God does not seek its own. He's not self-seeking. He always seeks the best for us. I mean, what would he need worship for? What would he need praise for? What would he need admiration for? He's, he is everything. He's got everything. He owns everything. He is the perfect being. He doesn't need any of that. What he wants is 
relationship with us. He wants us to know how much he loves us. God love does not insist on his own rights or his own way. He's infinitely patient with us. God is not provoked, is not irritable, and puts up with anything. I want to take just a minute to talk about that. What it actually says in both the major Greek manuscripts that our Bibles are translated from is God is not angered. Many English translations, you'll see it says God is not easily angered. Well, guess what word is not in the original Greek? Easily. (laughs) Many translators felt they just had to put a caveat in there that God can be angered, but it's just not as easy as with us. No, God is not angered. Now, think about that. If you know everything, if you're omniscient as God is, you know what's going to happen. You can see the end from the beginning. You're not going to be surprised with something. How's it going to make you angry when you already know what's going to happen? God does not get angry, unlike us, unlike the image of a small G God that we've foisted off on him. All right. God's not provoked, not irritable, puts up with anything, is not angered. Now, this one is huge. God does not take into account a wrong suffered, and God keeps no record of wrongs. Just think about that. If nothing else from what you're getting from this little discussion today, take some time and ponder that, meditate about that, ask the teacher, the Holy Spirit in you, to explain what that really means. God keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't have a book or a scroll or anything where he's keeping a list of your wrongdoings. He has no list of your wrongdoings. What does that mean in regard to the fictitious entity that religion has come up with called hell and us being sent there because of our wrongdoings? I'll wait. (laughs) I could wait forever because there's no logical answer to that. If God keeps no wrongs, and he doesn't keep any wrongs, hmm, there's nothing for him to punish us for, and he's not into punishment anyway. That's a big one there, so I'd encourage you to spend some time with it. Now, I know what some of you are going to say, because this is what I used to say, but what about, what about this verse? What about this doctrine? What about that? Well, there are some things that can seem to say that, But when you look into the original language and the setting, what the author intended, and how things have been mistranslated, you'll come to see, oh, all those but whatabouts, there's no basis for them. So I encourage you to dig into things when you need to. Going on in uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, love, God, does not rejoice in unrighteousness and is not happy with sin. And a sin, of course, means missing the mark of knowing who God is and how much he loves us and everyone. Love, God rejoices with the truth. Love, God bears all things and always protects. He bears everything. He always protects. Love, God believes all things, believes the best about us, always trusts, and is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Love, God, 
hopes or expects all things to work out the way he intends. I mean, why wouldn't he? He's all powerful. God always perseveres. God never fails. God's love always perseveres, never fails, and never comes to an end. You can take these passages from 1 Corinthians 13 and meditate on them for a lifetime and only begin to start to grasp the amazing, infinite, unbelievable, unfathomable, outrageous love that God has for you and for everyone. I want to finish this little discussion today with another verse the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote this to the church in Galatia. It's Galatians 5, 6. He said, The only thing that counts, or what is most important, is faith expressed as love. If we have faith that moves mountains, as the beginning of 1 Corinthians said, but we don't have love, it doesn't count. It doesn't make any difference. It's like a loud gong or crashing cymbals in your ear. The only thing that matters to God is love. God's love for us and our experiencing that love for us. And then once we do, then it just happens supernaturally that we start to love ourselves and love everybody else and love God. We love because he first loves. Hey, thanks everybody. Hope this has been encouraging to you. It has been to me. Love you all. No pun intended. I do that because Christ in me does that as me. Look forward to seeing you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.